Welcome to Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news tips and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who made this podcast possible, makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible Custom Stable Scleral Lens. In case you're wondering, I'm on the East Coast. My name is Dr. James Diem, and I'm joined by none other than my talented co-host, rep in the West Coast... Dr. Roya Habibi. What is up, Roya? Today is September 7th. I was wondering what today was. I, I know. lost track of time. You're welcome. You know? I think, I think we've talked about this in the past. Labor Day. Labor Day. We've talked about it a bajillion times, probably just once. But remind me, do you remember anything about it? I don't know. You know... It was like some union labor or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, when, so... First of all, Labor Day is always on the first Saturday, sorry, first Monday. Feels like a Saturday sometimes. Saturday Monday. First Monday of every September. Yes. And there's a couple disagreements about how it began, but one version is from 1882 when the Knights of Labor, which is the largest or one of the largest um, labor organization at the time, they held a parade featuring various labor organizations and... Um, propose this be a national holiday to, uh, whatever, demonstrate labor unions. Another version was actually proposed by uh, Peter McGuire, who is the vice president of the American Federation of Labor. Yeah. Um, he Go proposed Pete. a general holiday for the laboring classes, quote unquote. Okay. Um, and it would begin as a street parade and end with a picnic fundraiser for local unions and chose Labor Day because of the weather. Because it's between 4th of July and Thanksgiving. There's nothing else. Believe it or not, Oregon was the first state to make it Come an official on, holiday. really? Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Oregonians. That's, that's about all I got. It's a good time of year, right? I mean, we're gearing up for fall. Fall's, fall's our thing in the Northeast. So, you know, fall is like, you know, there's already pumpkin everything out and it's crisper nights, uh, shorter totally. days, which isn't great, but... In two weeks, first day of fall ish. Fall's the, the best. The 21st of September. Definitely my favorite. Fast, uh, fast season, but it's it's definitely my favorite. It's a big political time. True. Right? True. Lots and of very different stuff going political on. time, right? I mean, everything's online and oh, yeah. all of the debates are different. And yeah, it's a weird time. But <laughs> also, not to go too political, it's also National Beer Lovers Day for those Board of Labor Day. So you it's just also totally National Salami Day. Redirected the political conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get out and vote. Let's let's agree on that. Can we we'll agree, agree on, on that? For show. Get For out show. and vote or vote however you can vote. Vote. So, you know, I thought we so we're doing this podcast, just you and me, Roya. We don't have any special guests. We are we have some really exciting new things that we're going to be doing, and uh, we're going to be you know introducing those in just a few seconds. Some exciting stuff to keep our listeners engaged throughout the week, and I'm excited about that. But I thought since we usually uh, you know barrage our uh, guests with questions, that we could do that to one another. And uh, in doing that, our guests will get to know us better. What do you think? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is one that we ask a lot of our, our guests. And I don't know why we think that this is such a great question. I think it's just what we 
what we can think of. What is your favorite condiment? <laughs> this is where everybody turns off the podcast. They're like, oh, come on, guys. No, no, We're running out of stuff to talk about. I don't know. I think probably ketchup. No one ketchup. really says ketchup, but I really love ketchup. I'm a hot sauce guy. Actually, no, I take it back. I love Greek yogurt. Yogurt, Greek yogurt, honestly, Greek any yogurt sort of plain yogurt actually is really good. Greek yogurt, honestly, I think it's a good base for anything. anything. You can add, you can have it straight. You can make it into tzatziki. You could add it into, honestly, anything. A dessert, I like it on sweet. anything. You could yeah. probably make it sweet. I've been living on that. I don't know if I told you that's that's been like I've been living on that. That was like part of my Weight Watchers diet. Huh? Uh, that's yeah. my kind of diet. Yeah. Well, the zero, zero, um, like the no zero sugar. carbs, zero sugar, zero fat. It's got like no flavor. You got to add flavor to it. For but. yogurt? Yeah. I don't know what kind of yogurt has no sugar. It it's, has like natural sugar. It's like, tastes like cardboard. It's great. No, it's so good. <laughs> I need to find that kind of yogurt. All right. I got another one for you. I just okay. asked this of uh, someone else. What would your autobiography be if it was of the, the name of your guilty pleasure? Hmm. Maybe. Um. Dude. Sweet Tooth Parade. What is that? <laughs> Sweet Tooth Parade? What is that? I need candy after every meal of some sort. Really? I need some sort of sweet. It's an unsatisfying meal if I can't have a sweet bite. Really? Yeah, guilty pleasure. <laughs> sweet there you tooth go. Parade. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. What about yours? Ah, oh, what would mine be? Wow, it's in, it's interesting because gummy worms are my Oof. definite guilty pleasure, like the sour gummy worms. So it would be Ooh, sour yeah, gummy yeah. worms. That falls I mean, into mine. I could, you know, there were nights in college where, you know, like on a Friday night, I'd just hang out with some sweet gummy, you know, sour gummy worms. You know, that was... I mean, the other day I came downstairs and my husband bought like, went out to the grocery store just to get like three different bags of sour candies. I was like, dude, what's wrong with you? Yes. <laughs> You, you feeling so sick? He, he's on the sweet kick too. He's is very strictly sours, but I don't care what. Sours, any sours mm -hmm. doesn't have to mm -hmm. be a gummy sour. Mm -mm. Nice, mm -hmm. cool. Well, I have some. Uh, this is one of our new exciting things. All right, are you excited? I'm ready. Cases of the week. We've been talking about cases of the week for two years. Right? Sure. We're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. I have already curated a few. So I have pictures. I have little updates. I have some questions and uh, really cool cases. So um, we are going to have a couple cases. So I'm going to just introduce the cases. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to introduce the cases. And then uh, I would like you to check out our Instagram. You uh, as in Facebook. our listeners or me? Well, I want you to do it too, but uh, you're going to be part of it. So, you okay, know, I'm okay. talking to the listeners right now. So all the right, listeners right. are going to check in on our social media pages, probably Facebook, uh, you know, definitely be on Facebook, maybe even Instagram, um, our Instagram stories, that is. Um, but definitely our Facebook page, uh, that's where it will be housed, maybe our Instagram stories also, to check in on these cases. And they're going to be introduced on Tuesday. This week it's going to be Tuesday and Wednesday. So tomorrow the 8th and Wednesday the 9th. And you'll be able to go back and check these out and kind of see some interesting cases. So this first case, which is going to be, I'm going to put some stuff up about it tomorrow, some pictures and, and so on, was a new patient.
Uh, she's a 58-year-old female that presented with a acute loss of vision in one eye. Happened to be her, her left eye. And she presented and she said, you know, I'd lost my vision approximately four hours earlier. So it was 1.30, o'clock on, you know, in the middle of the day. She said she had lost it around 11 a.m. that day. She said she had no pain. Uh, she, uh, total loss of vision. Um, she said, that's how she described it to our staff. So she came in, I saw her, um, and I actually found out through my uh, evaluation that she did actually have some vision. Um, she did have an APD, uh, and she did have some vision primarily in her very inferior visual field. I did a photo and I did a um, OCT. And I'd love to know what else you guys think that you would do in this case. Um, I'll tell you at first, I thought, you know, boy, I think that sounds like a retinal detachment. That was probably my number one thing that I thought. And actually, I had my staff, you know, call up the retina department and because uh, our normal retinal surgeon was away. And I said, give the retina, you know, a, a call at the hospital because I know, you know, there's there's uh, somebody that they're going to have to get in touch with and kind of be a long, you know, process. And so I started that process. And that's all I'm going to say. Do you have any questions, Roy, that you think would be uh, pertinent or anything that you'd like me to share before? Because I'm going to put pictures up and I'll put the diagnosis up tomorrow. But I... I I want to know, do you, what do you think about this case? Does she have any medical history worth noting? Yes. She has hypertension. She has um, a history of heart disease in her family, uh, no diabetes, uh, and no other pertinent health conditions, just hypertension. Which is this the first time anything like controlled. this has happened? Say it again. Is this the first time anything like this has happened? First time it's happened. Never Do her optic before. nerves look normal? Say it again. Do her optic nerves look normal? Her optic nerves look ner normal. Nermer. Nermer. <laughs> Point ones. Do we know what the retina looks like? Or is that giving away too much? We do. And I will tell you, uh, and I'm just going to leave it at this. It was attached. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Yeah. Just going to leave it at that. This was a really cool case. And um, I did get somebody else involved in this case, a non-eye doctor, non-optometrist ophthalmologist. And um, they have agreed to come on the podcast. So I'm very excited about that. So I'm going to leave it at that. Check out okay. the, the, the Facebook tomorrow. All right. I got another case. Are you excited about this? Even more. This is so exciting. These are, these are cool cases, two fun ones. Uh, so this is a 72-year-old male, came in, first-time exam, new patient with an uh, acute loss of vision. This time it was uh, in his inferior field. So the last patient had some vision in their very far inferior field. This patient lost vision in their inferior field in one eye. They said, you know, maybe I noticed something about this six months ago. Uh, but you know, and I just, I was busy. I was moving. I just moved back. I just moved to this area and I was in the process of moving at that time. And I thought I had something in my eye. 
like six months ago. But you know what? About a month ago, I really started to notice it. And I said, boy, I better get an appointment. And so I called and made an appointment. This was the first appointment I could make. And I said, well, didn't you tell them that you lost vision in your eye? And you, and, and then he said, well, I didn't really say that I lost vision in my eye. I just thought I, I had decreased vision in one of my eyes. So, you know, of course, my heart's pumping hearing that. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, we should have got him in sooner. Um, but that's that's a history. That's what I got. So what would you like to know about him? So he had decreased vision in one eye that got worse. That's what he reports. But only part of his vision. That is correct. And that is what he reported. it's progressively getting worse. That was what he reported. But er- <laughs> abruptly. <laughs> yes. It was something caused this man to, to act, you know, and that's okay. what, where it was kind of gray with this dude because, um, you know, I, I was able to evaluate him. I did get a picture. It was a very obvious picture, very obvious diagnosis. Um, and, uh, you know, there was uh, an aspect of his vision that actually uh, did require, you know, further intervention or treatment. So he did also have a history of uh, hypertension and a quadruple bypass one year prior. Um, never had any eye surgeries or eye conditions. Uh, he wears reading glasses and that's pretty much, you know, the extent of his case. But I think you guys will really think this is an interesting case. Um, he, he was 2200 in, in the affected eye, uh, and, um, did, you know, upon further evaluation have, um, you know, a, a greater depth of vision or in visual quality, if you will, on confrontation field, um, uh, superior compared to inferior. So loss of the inferior visual field, it appeared. So this is a good one. You'll like it. Very good. So that's a new thing that we're doing. I think you're going to love it. Boards review question of the week is our new uh, thing that we're going to be doing. And listen, I'm going to make boring boards re- questions interesting. Now, how, how am I going to do it. that? Prove it. <laughs> I'm going to make it clinically applicable to even... You to even you, Roya. Okay, yeah. So we're not going to just you know put the stuff out there and and hope you know that you memorize a number. Now, for all of our students out there, you might actually have to do that. But for all of our practicing docs out there, you're going to want to know how this stuff is clinically applicable. So, um, you know, I'm going to give you a few questions here. I want you to simmer on them. We're going to put out some uh, some reasons why these uh, numbers, why these questions, why these seemingly very unimportant things that are primarily on boards part one, but also on boards, um, you know, the other parts of boards are, are important. So first question is radius of curvature of the anterior surface of the cornea. Is it 1.3 centimeters? Is it 43 diopters, 7.8 centimeters or 6.5 centimeters? So that is a question that, you know, I I don't know. Do you know that off the top of your head? I'm not going to ask you to answer it, but do you know that? Okay. Well, it's radius of curvature, so it's not 43. (laughs) That's right. And it's not 1.33. Look at you and your deductive reasoning. (laughs) Right. So I think it's probably 7.8 and 6.5. If I had to take a random guess, I'm going to say 7.8. Okay. All right. Now I'm not going to give the answer, 
because yeah, I want you to come and and see it on our Facebook page. But I like the deductive reasoning. And so for our students out there, you all know what the answer is. I likewise would like to know what the radius of curvature of the posterior surface of the cornea is. Uh, I'd like to know what the average refractive index of the cornea and the average refractive power of the cornea. And if you know those numbers, uh, you know that I just spouted out all three, all four of those numbers. So basically all four of those numbers correspond to one of those things. Radius curvature of the anterior surface of the cornea, radius of curvature of the posterior surface of the cornea, refractive index of the cornea, power of cornea. We talk about the cornea all the time on this podcast, right? Um, right. You know, we love specialty contact lenses. Uh, we love custom stable lenses. We like to utilize lenses to improve the quality of people's visions. And so uh, knowing some of these things about the cornea definitely have some clinical applications. And so uh, I'd like to review that. And if you look at the board's review website, that is the NBO website, you will see a long list of all the things that you need to know for boards. And so, uh, you know, these things are taken right from there. So there's a list of all the things you need to, to know. Roy, you, you maybe remember that list, reviewing okay. it at some point? Sure. So I just take some things from there and then we ask you some questions. And uh, the, the cool part is though, the clinically applicable part of it. So that's the part that you're gonna get uh, this week this answer and the clinical application will be shown to you on Thursday. And as we get rolling with some of this stuff, now we're just introducing it. But as we get rolling with some of this stuff, we'll, we'll chat a little bit about it on the podcast also. As I said, this is just a, a splattering of new and exciting things today. New stuff. I love it. Splattered everywhere. Keep it up. Whereas... <laughs> <laughs> Just beyond excited. Uh, so I've been waiting, you know, forever for this. Uh, I I think that you know the one of the most successful things, probably the most successful thing that we have ever done to engage our listeners has been our Instagram challenge that Roya totally spearheaded uh, with the help of uh, marketing for ECPs. And we just do you, do you remember how many? active, you know, uh, posts we had from that. Do you, do you recall? I think we had something like 600 posts, 700 posts. It's pretty impressive, right? So, awesome. you know, for listeners, you know, we, we, um, you know, according to our listening, uh, listener webpage page that tells us how many people are listening, we average around a thousand active listeners downloads per month. Now that's maybe not the newest podcast that people are listening to various podcasts, but you know, average a thousand. So 60% of you engaged in that. We think that's fantastic. And so we know that Instagram is definitely, you know, highly utilized by our listeners and, and, and extremely important. And so as a goofball, I've been enjoying TikTok, And I think a a lot of you out there have been a uh, TikTok uh, voyeur. You're watching TikTok. You're loving TikTok. You are jamming in the car when you hear a song that has been on TikTok, and you know this. You know the dance moves. You definitely do. Uh, but I don't know that you've actually ever posted anything to TikTok. So I will tell you personally that it's been a really, really cool thing in my career, in my practice. Uh, patients are really enjoying it. Friends of mine are enjoying it. And so I'd like to do a TikTok challenge. Are you ready for this, Roya? 
I'm ready for it. So we're going to announce a video topic every Monday here on the podcast. We're going to do this for a month. All right. So this is the first week of our TikTok challenge. We are going to go ahead and review that that, podcast, that TikTok video that you posted that Friday. So it's going to be out for a week. We're going to review it every Friday uh, by 10 o'clock Eastern time. So it's got to be done in and uh, submitted by that time. The winner will then be announced on the following day, the Saturday. So every week we're going to have a new winner and we're going to have some prizes. And uh, we'll, we'll let you know what those prizes are as the week progresses on, on our social media platform. So we'd like you to use the hashtag, hashtag TikTok IDOC, T-I-K-T-O-K-E-Y-E-D-O-C, TikTok IDOC to identify the posts. And uh, so this week, we want to just see you having fun in your office. Show off your office and something unique about it. Keep it simple. Uh, With a TikTok, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 seconds seems to be, um, you know, a powerful time and uh, seems to get good engagement. Uh, You know, what's really interesting is, you know, I've done, you know, I don't know how many of them, 30 of them. I've had, you know, some that just, you know, I think, man, this is going to be so good. And I'm going to get so many people engaging in this and asking questions and uh, really think it out and spend some time trying to edit it and put in different uh, words and so on. And I get like a hundred people to view it. And then I've done a few other where like literally within hours, it's like 50,000 views. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, what their um, metrics are to cause certain things to go, go viral, so to speak. So I'm really excited about that and uh, hope that we can get some engagement. I think my goal here, we had 600 on Instagram. I'd say if, if we can get a hundred a hundred videos. That would be a huge success. And I would be very, very happy with that. So let's hear, uh, you know, something fun about your office and see it, um, engage your office staff and, uh, should be a lot of fun. So, um, have you heard about this Roya, this, um, issue now? I mean, this might be a bigger, uh, thing where, where you are in, in Washington, Seattle, you guys had a little bit more in reference to, um, you know, some of the different things that have been going on in reference to protests and, um, you know, civil, uh, unrest, let's say, uh, I know that there's there in reference to rubber bullets. Have you heard about this? Yeah, totally. You know, I'm looking at this list of places in your list and um, Seattle and Washington State is not on there. But actually, my colleague is working at UW and she's been treating a patient that got a rubber bullet to the eye and lost her eye. Wow. She's been dealing I with that Pennsylvania's right now. on the list. So real quick, just so so that, you know, folks that maybe don't know are up to date. Um the American Academy of Ophthalmology actually put out, you know, some statements about the use of rubber bullets. I think the American Optometric Association did as well and uh, really cited, you know, the dangers associated with the use of rubber bullets. So, you know, just some stats. Number of people who lost an eye, at least seven uh, over the last, you know, couple of months. Um, the age range for those who lost an eye are 21 to 37 years of age. Um the uh, projectile type was a rubber bullet or something similar. They use bean bags or uh, pepper balls uh, sometimes that are used for tear gas canisters. Um, 
So uh, there, there was also a report of somebody who suffered damage to their cornea from a taser fired at close range. Um, states that reported injuries, and like you said, there were others, um, most likely California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Texas. So lots of, lots of places uh, affected by this. And um, so, you know, kudos to the American Academy of Ophthalmology really making, you know, a stance uh, in reference to, you know, just how harmful uh this is you know and and maybe you know a statement to you know the um individuals out there you know working in law enforcement that you know some of these things are maybe unnecessary probably unnecessary and certainly dangerous um you know and and then maybe a statement to uh folks that are out there doing you know, that are protesting that they should wear eye protection, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or some sort of face shield. That's, I, I don't even know what would protect you against a rubber bullet. I have no idea. So. Yeah. I mean, I think too, the person in Seattle who was hurt, um, got hit with a rubber bullet or sorry, a tear, ca- tear gas canister. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, that person so was there's... like 17. Really sad. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a hashtag actually hashtag, not one more. I that's the hashtag hashtag, not one more. I, and we also have a, um, link to the American Academy of Ophthalmology's, uh, page that they posted about this, that, you know, um, sort of goes into, you know, the details that I just shared with you all. Um, very good. So I have a few uh, little um, reports that uh, were uh, put in the uh, most latest, the the latest uh, American Academy Journal of Ophthalmology, which I do subscribe to. So I get that. And I always try and pull aside a few interesting articles I think might be interesting and pertinent. Uh, one, I thought that was pertinent, at least, you know, th- these are things you always see cited in dry eye, um, you know, uh, articles, um, you know, that it affects the quality of patient's life. So anyway, this was an article that was just recently, um, uh, published in the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Um, and it is called the patient reported burden of dry disease in the United States results of an online cross sectional survey. And, the purpose, so when was the, this was actually published on uh, in April, um, and a really pretty impressive number of patients, um, uh, over a little over a thousand patients um, with and a thousand patients without dry eye disease. And so they had various uh, questionnaires and uh, quality of life measures, ocular comfort index measures. So what do you think this basically said? It said that a lot of people have dry eye. <laughs> so it said there's a substantial burden of dry eye disease on functional vision. So there was a, an evaluation of, of vision, um, general health status, and productivity. And further, these parameters appear to worsen with increasing eye dryness scores. And so, you know, what does it mean? It means, you know, that people are affected. People are really, um, you know, their, their life is altered. Their quality of life is altered. And so, you know, I know we end up talking about dry eye a lot on this podcast, but man, it's something that I think we can get so bogged down in 
with the overall uh, redundancy of it that we sometimes forget, you know, the real impact it has on patients' lives, especially with, you know, the amount of computer work, et cetera, that folks are doing right now. So do you see well, this think, as being more, you know, does that affect you at all? Or do you just think, oh, that's kind of, I kind of knew that already. I'd say I probably kind of knew that, but I think it's important to have more large, large scale studies just to, you know, reinforce everything we kind of already know, especially as if you call us subspecialists for dry eye. Another thing I think is important to take away from this particular study is that they utilized a quality of life survey. And I think, you know, we hear that a lot, like using a survey, but I think it's pretty under appreciated. It's such an easy thing to do. It's such an easy thing to add into your intake form. And it's such an easy way to screen because I can't tell you how many times people come to me and are like, I've said this for years, but I just assumed it wasn't going to get any better. So I stopped talking about it, but it was never actually addressed or my doctor said, use some tears or whatever. And so if you have a number to really rank, it's a good way to be able to truly quantify their feelings without them having to say stuff. And then you can dig a little deeper. So do you use surveys in your office, Jimmy? We do speed. Yeah, we yeah. do. We just speed. Yeah. So I don't even know if that's, I mean, it is a survey, but it's not like a quality of life survey. It kind um, of is. I think it's a good one to use. I use sp speed and OSDI. There are quality of life surveys that are yeah. useful for OSDI, the ocular surface disease index. Um, I find that it catches a couple things, including if your prescription's off. So, you know, I think it's kind of nice to have a couple different ways to analyze it. And I have it all on one page. It's a super easy thing. Literally takes them two minutes to do. And it's a nice way to measure, even if, for instance, I start a prescription medication for my patients and it's halfway better, the speed scores or the OSDI scores are halfway better. It's great encouragement for patients to reinforce whatever they're doing. Or let's say they get a treatment done. Let's say they get Lipiflow, I see them back. The scores are significantly better, but they're trying to say that they're not better. There's another ways to reinforce that, look, things are getting better. They're just not perfect and that's okay. So I think it's a great way to monitor what you're doing with your patients. Absolutely. One other data point. I have one last study that I'm going to share, and it is one that is probably clinically unuseful at the current time, but it is a parameter. It is a part of visual function, let's say, that is really interesting to me, especially somebody who fits a lot of specialty lenses like yourself. Um, you know, one thing that drives me nuts is when I have a great fitting um, scleral lens and somebody who's got great vision and I could just see the Neo growing and growing and growing. And you're just kind of like, oh shit, you know, like I'm going to have to get this patient out of a scleral or limit their wear or try and get them better, you know, um, uh, oxygen uh, permeability somehow. And you're working with the great folks at Valley Contacts to come up with, you know, Ooh. some improvement in, you know, breathability, or you switch to, you know, a gas perm, which you're a corneal gas perm, which is, you know, often a, a way to cure that uh, really, really easily, but not always. And so, you know, measuring um, neovascularization, understanding neovascularization, then ultimately finding out what is the treatment for it is, is something that is uh, uh, honestly very, um, 
nebulous, you know, I think. And so anyway, there was a study uh, in the American Journal of Ophthalmology published on August 17th of this year called the Novel Parameters to Assess the Severity of Corneal Neovascularization Using Anterior Segment OCTA. So we've talked a lot about posterior segment OCTA. It's something I use in my practice every single day, and I keep on, you know, um, becoming more familiar with its utility and, and its applications, especially in, t- in diabetes and especially in glaucoma. And, uh, you know, so I didn't even know that anterior segment OCTA was a thing until I saw this. And so pretty interesting. And so basically this study was just looking to determine whether or not it was useful in staging it. Um, And so it concluded that, yes, there is a utility in its ability to look at the posterior limit or how deep the neovascularization is, the thickness, the depth, the area, the volume. Um, and it was, it was very accurate at, at doing so in being able to stage between mild, moderate, and severe. So, you know, what utility this has moving forward, I'm not totally sure. Now with you, um, you know, working in more of a, um, uh, you know, ophthalmology, optometry, tertiary care clinic, what do you guys do to manage cornea neovascularization? Is there anything more, interesting than, you know, basically taking a patient out of lenses that, that you've done that's helpful? Um, you know, I find the people that have the worst neovascularization are people who are either overwearing their lenses or the lenses are too close to the limbus. So there's getting too much corneal or I guess limbal irritation and that'll stimulate some neovascularization of the limbus. Um, but usually what I do is really highly scrutinize or criticize my fit or whatever fit the patient is wearing, um, potentially limit wear time. Actually, there isn't anything exciting. Add a steroid for a little while, see if you can get it to clear up. Um, But there isn't anything necessarily innovative. Um, You just have to be extra critical, especially if they have a graft. Um, I've heard of people using um, anti-VEGFs, and I don't know why that's not a thing yet. I wonder, you know, that seems to make sense to me. I don't know... I guess if it, just because it's expensive, really expensive. But but Evastin isn't expensive. It's very inexpensive. I'm not sure. Doesn't come in drop form. Would you inject it? You would have to get it. Um, you would probably have to get it uh, compounded. Yeah, you'd probably True. have to get it compounded. I mean, I I'm just I'm just pulling this out of my head. I mean, I I have no idea. It just seems like that would be a possibility. Now I don't know, you know, how that would apply to the to the cornea, right? Because you just, yeah. I'm thinking you just want it on the cornea. You don't want it in the limbus. You don't want it on the conj, I wouldn't think. So it just seems yeah, like that would be something. It's kind of tricky too, because I think another thing I think of when I see a lot of neovascularization is I think of limbal stem cell deficiency. And I think that's an important thing to consider for any type of contact lens wearer. Um, so that's something I would criticize a lot and make sure I'm not seeing signs of that because I would treat that differently as well. What would you do for that? I probably would take them out of their lens wear, start preservative-free tears, potentially a preservative-free steroid, um, and do anything I can to calm the cornea down, calm those cells down, potentially put on a Procara. But, you know, it's tough, especially if they're not having discomfort or pain and their vision is good, but that's something that you want to take really seriously if that is an issue because it is a very hard thing to treat, especially when it's more progressed. And even when someone gets... Uh, let's just say a flare that induces some sort of limbal stem cell issue, how that heals is so 
spirally, if you will, it'll heal, but its remnants really, you know, leave a path in the cornea as those cells kind of grow back in. So it can take months sometimes to fully allow that to heal and the cornea to fully clear up again. Hmm. Well, that was a tantalizing discussion, don't you think? <laughs> sure. Yes, it was a tantalizing discussion and lots of new and exciting things that I want you guys to engage in. We want to want to chat with you here in our podcast. We want to bring in great guests, but we also want to have some more regular uh, interaction with you on our social media uh, platform. So we're going to really do a much better job doing that. And so this week we have uh, two great cases, one tomorrow, one on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we have our... Uh, um, uh, boards review question. It's going to be clinically relevant to you. Lastly, we have our TikTok program uh, contest, TikTok iDoc, that's uh, coming out this week. So we want to see what you uh, got going on in your office. So it's something unique about your office, you and your office. And uh, that needs to be uh, submitted to TikTok, TikTok iDoc, hashtag TikTok iDoc uh, by Friday, this coming Friday at 10 Eastern time. So uh, that's all I got, Roya. I think that about does it. Before we go, reach out to us for feedback, questions, stories, things you want us to talk about, either through email or on our Instagram or Facebook. We never depart without saying thanks to Valley Contacts for their support, both for the amazing lenses they make and the great people they are to work with. And be sure and tune in and listen to our next episodes. But until then, try not to blink.